questions around the same, uh, just keep adding them to our uh, comment box and we are going to uh, take them up one by one. Hi, Preeti. Hi, Neha. Hi, Shwarya. Hi, Divya. Hi, James. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out the best network to be here. <laughs> yes. So uh, good afternoon, everyone. And thank you for joining us uh, for today's uh, Talking Tuesdays. Uh, our topic for today, as I mentioned, is uh, let's talk about uh, normal birth. Uh, so Divya, over to you. Thank you. Uh, so good afternoon. And yes, this word normal birth has been rankling around since I started working in 2004 in, in Delhi. And uh, it's a word that's used so often because when we ask people as doulas, you know, what are you looking for in your birth? Saying, I'm going to try and have normal birth as far as possible. And very soon I realized that this means different things to different people. So quick question, what does it mean to you? Normal birth. Well, let me change that. What does it mean to you to have a normal delivery? Uh, because both words are sensitive. So there was an article a couple of years ago about C-sections in the month of April in Mint. And it said that if 80% people had C-sections, would then C-section become the norm and therefore normal birth or normal delivery? And that was a question that really hit me hard. So I decided to say, how do I feel about these words? So I'm going to put down a few words for you. One is called natural birth. What does that mean? And then there's normal birth or normal delivery. And is that the same as natural birth? And then there's vaginal birth. And then there would be a surgical birth or a C-section. So what does each of this mean to the mom who's going into labor or going into birth? Because it's very important that we understand, number one, what it means to us. Where are we drawing the boundaries? What do we want from this experience? What feels like this is okay, I can deal with it. Or I'm okay to go to this length. And the second part is to be able to articulate it well, to explain it well, to to have no doubt that everybody who's supporting you, which includes your family, that includes a, a healthcare professional, that includes your doula, your sister, anybody knows that this is what the word normal means to you. The word delivery, I want to do away with completely because nobody's delivering your baby. If it was delivered, you would be sitting at home waiting for the delivery boy to ring and boom, there's your baby. So that's not happening. So we are going to use from this point onwards the word birth because that's what women's bodies are designed to do, give birth. The even more important, and we've already touched upon it, is that the baby is designed to be born. So a lot of effort is being made by the baby to be born. So we're going to call it birth. So let's go back to the word normal. What does normal mean to you? Does it mean with or without medication? Is that medication only for pain relief? 
uh, is that medic do you consider anything that starts labor before it spontaneously starts as normal do you consider using a, a mechanical intervention which could be a vacuum for the baby as a normal thing for some people uh, epidural taking an epidural and having a vaginal birth is also normal so this isn't about whether this is normal or not this is more about what do you consider is acceptable at the birth of your baby and then i'd love to hear from you uh, what was your idea of normal if it was the same as natural and if not what was the difference i know we want to talk but talk is a two way process <laughs> what did you think the first time the second time family about normal birth and did it change <laughs> so uh so even before uh you know i was pregnant um but one thing i often used to hear from people is uh that oh was it a normal delivery so i often used to wonder what that normal was uh and hence uh, uh you know the uh, the first time around uh i had um uh, uh i i i did take epidural uh for uh various reasons and um it it was a normal delivery but then later on when i when i kind of analyzed it wasn't really uh you know or so called a normal birth because it wasn't natural you know the way it was supposed to be so i think that's the kind of difference for me between a normal and a natural uh, uh birth okay so then before the after the first one before the second one something shifted for you that was acceptable at that point and then it changed the next time around right the more important part is not to get hooked on to something as an achievement but to see where was the limit of your own self that you could attend to that day so the first time around you took an epidural and that felt like you could cope with that that was a good experience for you then you processed it and the next time you decided that maybe this time i would go without one and that is your personal process so between the whole um narrative about natural birth and vaginal birth and normal birth we don't want to lose focus who is giving birth and there is a woman and therefore this conversation this talk uh, is all about you exploring because unless you haven't explored that you may not be able to negotiate your own boundaries and you may feel trapped in that achievement but once you understand oh this is what i think about this this is what i feel about this and this is the way your voice is sorry i'm interrupting my going through Uh, okay but, go, uh, yeah. your video is not clear and also uh, the voice is not very clear yeah it seems like this is always happening with me this is normal <laughs> <laughs> this is normal for you it's not optimal but this is normal for me and i'm going to deal with this normal the best i can so here's a very good example so i said it's important that you first understand what is available then you get into the feelings of what your feeling okay with what what is okay within your reach and doesn't overwhelm you and then you respect your own process by taking one step at a time by just making these distinctions so these distinctions weren't about right or wrong or better or worse but more about your understanding 
that yes there is a distinction and how you are going to process it yeah so um, you know we got some answers and i'd love to read what others had written <laughs> Yes, um, so Priti uh, is saying no induction, no epidural, uh, but episiotomy done. So, is it called a natural or a normal birth? It may be considered normal by the doctor, but it isn't natural. So that's the distinction. Now, whether we needed it or not, whether you knew about it or not, whether you had a choice in it or not, or whether not knowing in time took away your choice. So if you knew ahead of time, maybe you could have discussed it with your doctor. Maybe you would have then prepared to give birth in a position that felt more organic or instinctive to you. Maybe you wouldn't, you know. So it's not really literally this bit. It's a lot of how it's been programmed around is also important. So you know, women who don't know that there there is something called you could be in a position other than what the doctor is saying. and the stories they've heard about that you know lie down and push with your legs up might do it because they don't know any better and some of those women might find that they've achieved something because they could really push the baby out and while some other women may feel like oh my god that was just too much for me again it's so individual so it may be considered normal to have an episiotomy from the doctor's point of view because that's what they've learned so for that that is the norm for them but you may not feel that this is normal behavior and it is certainly not natural to have your perineum cut so you know these small distinctions will help you feel uh, like you're making choices like you're participating like you're being heard so this is the conversation that we wanted to have okay what else is normal for people and uh, kp venu gopalan is uh, saying that i have always i was always told that i had a narrow pelvis and natural birth would be difficult uh, but not impossible so from then my idea of normal was confused yeah of course so see how you are programmed now once they said that it is small it may not be possible you know possible maybe probable you are already getting a negative bias but if you got information about how the pelvis is how the bones are articulated if you got information about how movement can change it if you got information about positions changing if you also tuned in to say it is my desire to experience labor without outcome being vaginal birth it's my desire to experience it it's my desire to let the uh, to, to let the labor begin spontaneously because i know the baby is now ready there are so many things that can become meaningful to you in your birth process if you just become aware and clearly articulate for yourself and others what normal means for you and also then respect the process both parts are important so um, i don't know what your uh, this thing um, your experience is but here's another point of view and um, please forgive me if i have offended anybody if you find that you are in a true medical emergency then it is quite normal for you to get medical help even that would be normal which is what we do when we fall sick we do seek medical help when appropriate and that is also normal behavior but unnecessarily taking drugs is abnormal is abnormal behavior or dependency on drugs is abnormal behavior and then normal therefore then becomes very specific to the circumstances 
to the person to that point in time because the same person like Tanvi could make two different choices or would want two different things from her birth with just the passage of time, with just experience, with just exploring more choices or who she had become after giving birth the first time. Therefore, what her normal or acceptable in the first time was may change the second time. And a wide variety of these uh, different influences may make your condition really or your situation really, really unique. So natural birth simply says when it is left undisturbed to unfold like nature designed it. And be very clear that for all species, nature has designed it in the most optimal way. And that body and that nature of yours, which is called instinct, arises through you if nothing is interfered with. So it's not just unmedicated. You know, you might be in a hospital unmedicated, but may, you may feel vulnerable. You may, that's not natural. What arises organically through you that nature that is aligned to nature is natural birth. In that sense, even going to a hospital is an intervention because you were not designed to go to hospitals, but you were designed to seek safe places. That's instinct. So in that sense, because we're human, we're complex, there's so much is going on with us, each one gets to, uh, to, to decide at every point what is the range of their norm. And uh, this is a very important, very, very important um, conversation simply because on one side, we talk about natural birth as an achievement. And on the other side, you know, we may need help. So instead of giving power to the words and, the, and what is going to happen and the achievement, if we take that, that and in, integrate that power to say, I have the power to decide what is best for me and my baby, Understanding that nothing is ideal, but we are capable of repair, of coming back, of healing at all times. Is the power here? Is the norm here? Should be the norm? I know when we talk about human rights, when we talk about equality, when we, do, we talk about all these things, they all come down to the same thing that everybody should be respected exactly the way they are and have the right to good education, have the right to change their mind, have the right to explore themselves through time, whether you know intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, however you want to. All of that also applies to you as the mom giving birth more than any other time of your life because it's also a legacy you're passing on. How you feel, how you were made to feel or how you chose to feel or whatever you did is truly integrated as the story of the baby. The baby is born with that birth story. When I was being born, my mother felt joyful, heard, peaceful, relaxed. She had so much love and compassion. Why did she have all this? Because she was well supported and her choices were considered. She had her fears, but she was not paralyzed by them. She had ample people around who cared about her. So I'm coming into the world that personifies all these different things, despite of however the challenge of birth may have been. And so therefore normal is not a simple word. And on the other hand, being poked and prodded and the baby sucked out from your vaginal pa passage, is there's nothing normal about that procedure at all. Unless True. your will, your choice is involved, it's not normal for you. Okay. Right. So, so that's um, my spiel on it. And uh, we're all over the question. 
Uh, Yashvika, yes, Yashvika is asking. Um, I had my first baby, and that was a C-sec. I really want to go for a natural birth. Uh, what are the chances of VBAC? Can you suggest me any doctor or hospital? So look back and say what was the reason for your first cesarean. If for if it was something to do with your health, then you're the same person. A little bit changed. So have you looked after that, those aspects of your health? If it was something to do particularly with the baby, like a breech baby, then that is not going to be repeated with these babies. That gives you a fabulous chance to have a vaginal birth or a natural birth or a normal, whatever you want to call it, a VBAC. Now, at each point, I want to make this really clear. Why are we giving these labels as if something really unique is happening in a woman's body? Every experience of our life gives us, brings something to us, right? Say, suppose I fall today and I hurt my foot and then the, 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 I broke a bone and the bone hasn't been set, but it's set. So I have mobility, but I may not have the same strength. Now, I own that life because I fell. Having accepted who I am with love and love in it, its way is unconditional, with unconditional love and knowing that this is my process of life, what other possibilities are open to me? So we back the birth of a baby, the system is still the same. There's no change. There may be some considerations health-wise, depending on your history, or the C-section-wise, or the baby-wise, which are no different from those considerations in any other birth. So say if your health is, uh, is somewhat compromised and you've never had a C-section before, medically it still be considered the same way as it's considered in a VBAC. There are certain things that are circumstances wise that with a C-section, previous C-section, certain options that may be offered to a woman for a vaginal birth may not be offered to you. That's the difference. But other than that, your internal process still stays the same. So I'd say you're, depending on your history, and if you look that, individualize it, uh, as generic comment, it's a very good chance for a VBAC. Why wouldn't it be? This new baby, new story. Body is still designed to give birth. If there was a specific problem at one time, it's not going to be replicated unless it is something that is a part of who you are. In which case, you know who you are. Does that answer your question? My intention was never to answer your question, actually, because that's a yes and no answer, and nobody can give that answer. True. My, my intention, always, ever, every time I come here and speak, and every time I speak, is to, to reflect back at you what possibilities you still hold. And, and also, um, hold in this point in time the respect to the fact what your process may be. Because even if that possibility is eventually available to you, you may not be ready for it today. And that is where you're coming from. And that needs to be respected as well. Because I, I just find this narrative telling women what they should be and kind of erasing their entire past and their individuality and a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> because I think we hear a lot from everybody how we should be. You know, um, there is no right and wrong. What feels right is right. Because it respects you as a person. It comes from within you. Okay. Next question I'm taking is Suganya, and she's asking, uh, my first birth was normal delivery, no epidural with water back breaking and single loop of cord around my daughter's neck. It was a vaginal delivery. I did not have any uh, pregnancy complications at that time. 
though um, with a huge fibroid inside uh, the uterus on top inner wall, how far is it feasible to have a vaginal birth? I think she's talking about her second pregnancy now. Yeah. So again, you'll have to look at the um, fibroid, fibroid from the lens of where it is in the, in, in the uterus. And when those long muscles will contract, what will be the effect of that fibroid on those muscular change? So we really can't predict. Now there are three layers of the uterus. It's on the inside. How deep is it? How big is it? What point it is? How does it affect or interfere for that matter? The contraction of the long muscles that will ultimately pull the cervix open. That will be the only question to address. And we can't, nobody can tell you that right now. We can tell you that it may affect, but that's a negative bias, which is why I'm very uh, careful in choosing the words I'm saying to you. Nobody can tell you how it will affect, even though if you put it in, in the terms of, you know, use your rational mind, there's a big fibroid here, this is a muscle. Body is not static and it is an alive dynamic, compensating, adapting mechanism. It's not, uh, you know, you cannot look at the human body like that because then then everything about us is predictable. If you have this, then take note of cost. That's not how the body works. If you plant a tree, it finds its way around it. And they can't that, hear you. That finding the way around it is the beauty. Okay, normal again. Have you? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Uh, slightly better. Yeah. So I was talking about a tree, so plant. If there's a little bit of a restriction, it will find the life force will mold it around it. And the beauty of that or the uniqueness of that plant will come because it's adapted or it's, it's resilient, it's dynamic, it's seek life. So I really can't answer that question. And I'm not even sure if it will affect your labor or not. There's a possibility it doesn't because the size of it, we don't know. Where it's located, we don't know. What particular muscle it will affect, we don't know. The only way to know is to embrace the process of bringing baby into the world, which is labor. From a place to say, oh, let's see what this baby wants. Because there's, you've come together at this very particular time with this fibroid and everything else. This baby has grown with that fibroid's presence. We don't know what that dynamics will be. If we didn't know that right. you had a fibroid, would you think about it? Would you have the baby? We don't know. We don't know how many women with fibroids have actually had natural births. We don't know. What we don't know is so vast that what we know is minuscule. But, but our brain, our conscious minds, our thinking brains holds on to these numbers and statistics. And it takes away our possibilities. So then I hope it answers your question. You never intend to answer any Suganya, of this question. Suganya is uh, a regular uh, in all our talking Tuesdays. Thank you for that, Suganya. Uh, moving on to uh, KP Venugopalan's question. Uh, she's saying, my friend conceived very early on after marriage, and hence she was told that her perineum slash vagina is not stretched enough. And hence, episiotomy is, uh, is necessary to prevent a tear. Is, that, is there any truth or fact in that? No. How does how does being married for six years change your perineum? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
uh, I don't know if the forum to state, but this is such a sad idea that our parts of body have to be used in particular ways for them to do their own functions. Our heart starts beating at 22 days, right? That little muscle. And um, recently a dear friend of mine uh, brought up an idea. I mean, she, she reminded us uh, on a different call that the heart is a single tube that twists and becomes four chambered. You know that when we are born, our heart is working on two chambers, but at the minute of birth, when we breathe, our lungs start to take in the, the, um, the blood to do gas exchange, and the heart switches to four chambers. Now, the baby wasn't experienced enough to be in this world for the heart to shift from two chambers. <laughs> but, I mean, if you think age and experience and exposure is the only thing that will make you uh, better at something, then that is the best example for, for you to have, that the baby's lungs the minute, seconds after birth, uh, automatically the pressure drops. There is a fluid there. The pressure drops and the lungs come into function. Uh, now, now you say, oh, the baby should have been on some other kind of support for at least six weeks before the lungs can start functioning because they need that time. It's a similar, it, there are hundreds of such examples I can give and make fun of it. But the idea is that your perineum is the tissue uh, of the lower end of your uh, vagina. And how much are you in touch with that? That's one question. How comfortable are you with your own body? What are your beliefs around your body, especially your private parts? Secondly, the way birth is done, <laughs> sorry, in hospitals, most advice given to women pushing the baby out is about hold your breath, bring your chin to your chest, and push. Now, I just want you for a brief moment, hold your breath, bring your chin to your chest and put pressure and see what happens at your perineum anyways. So the tightening of your perineum has nothing to do with how long you've been married, but more about how the tissues of your body are responding to what you're doing in that moment. And that's a really important thing. So if you become in touch with your own body, look at your own beliefs about your own body, experience your perineum by your own touch, and sometimes perineal massage is the way to do it. And then also experience that when I get tense, what happens down there? And then how do I release it? And that's one part of that um, episiotomy story that we hear. But it's definitely nothing has to do with how much sex you've had and how long you've been married. I mean, you will be married for 10 years and had very little sex. How about that? Or, you know. That is nothing to do. That's such a, that is not a very dignified way to talk about women, their bodies, and sex. Because sex, it's a touchy word, but sex is the process with which we bring babies into the world. So there is a certain amount of um, biological drive that invites our babies into this world. We cannot look at it through that lens. We have to look at every aspect of our lives with respect. We deserve our own respect, every single part of my body. Whether I'm comfortable with it or not doesn't matter because that's programming. So it's giving you a very clear idea of how programming works in such subtle and unconscious ways. So therefore an exploration, now I know, so I want to explore. So, you know, the idea is to feel your perineum, know where it is, what is the purpose of it. And one side of the story is how tense it gets when we are doing what the doctor says. The other side is, are we in touch with it? Can we help it release? And also then, of course, positioning, 
only uh, um, you know uh, no pushing directive pushing but uh, you know using the body's urge to push all of these things combined with the baby's position there's a very broad spectrum way of bringing babies out it's not like you know just you know evict them from their home and cut and bring the baby i mean that's that's so divya is episiotomy a choice uh, that you can make yes it is and if your care provider doesn't offer it look for one who does but you have to again go back to say you have to understand what does this choice mean what does it entail you know if i make a choice of no episiotomy then firstly i need i need to find a care provider who respects that who has some experience if if nothing else has some experience of trusting the process sitting on their hands secondly if you're asking the doctor you know i'm not i i want natural birth i don't want an epidural she says yes yes of course so your next question is saying then you know i might choose a, you know i might choose an all fours position to give birth i don't know how it will go at that time she said no 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 you have to give birth like lying down she's not pro whatever you are asking for because the very fact that she's put you in a position that is uncomfortable push the baby against gravity and use your own force to do it is anti uh, no episiotomy so while she's saying yes no i'm okay to see how it goes but she's setting up the paradigm to do the episiotomy that is also a way of you know so education here might really help uh, but ultimately it will come down to you and uh, knowing your body knowing your choice and doing the work for it that's how it works great uh shikha berry is asking uh, do you agree with the extent to which women tear during birth these days it seems to be almost a given uh thing and i'm not sure if it should be given it's almost a choice between a episiotomy or tearing i don't agree with that if you're lying down on your back and pushing then that may be the comparison but we are not we are not comparing apples and or we are not comparing apples and apples we're comparing apples and oranges um So it's interesting. I was doing some research, and I was doing it on a very benign topic about eating and drinking in labor. And all the research that has been done is to prove that uh, eating and drinking causes no harm. And I'm like, what? Are we really going to look at life processes from the view framework of medical science, which in itself is a uh, is faulty? We talked about it when we talked about the placenta and the delayed cord cutting. why did they cut the cord immediately because they gave all women chloroform and used forceps to deliver babies and because they didn't want the chloroform to go from the mother to baby they cut the cord very quickly and now we have to we are trying to then compare that uh you know um, should we cut the cord or delay the cutting the cord or not because we learned it from a wrong foundation so women are not supposed to lie down on their back and give birth actually i don't know what they're supposed to do they're supposed to do whatever they want to do there is no supposed to when women gave birth at home and they moved and they had the dai and other people around what do you think they did nobody told them what to do because we'd say undisturbed don't disturb her this is when her creative instinct is at its peak she's bringing the baby out the baby and the mother are in conversation Shh, keep quiet let them hear each other and then if the baby said yeah you know i felt more comfortable if you lean forward she would lean forward and nobody say anything and people would gather around her and rub her back in whatever position she was which is what we do as doulas we listen to her so there's no supposed to now why do you think women lay down and give birth think that if the woman feels comfortable squatting and give birth 
Imagine in your mind, I'm going to paint a picture for you. She's squatting. The baby's head is emerging. Where is the doctor? Probably sitting with his head next to a watch. Because they That's quite uncomfortable watch. for them. <laughs> and so what happens when women give birth in hospitals? They're lying on their tailbones, pushing a baby against gravity. Gravity. Right? Tensing their entire body and trying to push that little person through tight muscles while the doctor sits comfortably on a stool and judges the process. So you're not comparing apples and oranges. Uh, apples and apples. We're comparing apples and oranges. You want to compare how much tearing will happen if the woman brings the baby out under her own body's power versus lying down on her back and pushing out. And that's when we hear the midwives talk and they say, what tearing? We've had the same doctors. I've had the, the honor of working with a doctor who, who opened her mind. Now we've done, we, we've seen women give birth in water, squatting, no tearing, four kilo babies. But those two kilo and seven, uh, 2.7 kilo babies coming out, lying down are causing the tearing. I mean, it makes no sense. You can't just take this paradigm and superimpose it and say, oh, see, they are not matching because they're not the same paradigm. You've got to see everything in its entirety to know this works. This is why it works. Can you imagine living in the jungle or in the caves and women just tearing away while their babies are coming out? What is the first requirement of the baby as the baby comes out is the presence of the mother. Therefore, you have to assume for the, for the survival of the species that this system is designed with least discomfort and most ease. True. And I risk my case. So no, I don't buy that paradigm that women will have large tears if they don't give them an easy autonomy and a clear cut. Okay. Uh, Neha is asking... I stop uh, because I keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> we love to hear you talk. And that's the feedback we get from everyone. Uh, Neha is asking, can you please talk a little about the pressure that women feel to have a normal birth and how that actually makes it even harder. Yes. yes, it does. I think women feel a pressure in so many different ways. Um, this whole, we were sold on this whole idea of our independence and equality. Women do two jobs, one unpaid and one paid less than men, <laughs> but they do two jobs. There was a huge research which said that even though men help in the house, they share the housework. It's the responsibility of the family that the woman takes that ages her, that nobody takes from her, it's not shared. So, you know, um, having said that, I, I, don't, I don't think women should now reclaim this because that's another pressure of being who they are. I think it is our natures to be subtle, to be earthy, to be nurturing. Things that are not spoken of in terms of strength, you know, physical strength is spoken of, but this resilience that we have, this fluidity we have, this ability to keep going under the radar is our strength. So first step is to acknowledge that and embrace that and respect that and celebrate that. And not, I mean, not think that there is a certain way of strength. Secondly, we need a community of women who love us for who we are, who laugh at our own um, wide variety of aspects, facets. We're like, we're like diamonds. We have other women that we're passionate, we're modest, 
and we're passionate. So we dress up to entice, but we're also modest. We, are, uh, we enjoy dressing up, but we also want to be simple. We enjoy um, intellectual pursuits, but we're also nurturing. We want to go to work and have a career, but we also want to be home with our children. It's a lot that we're already integrating. But what we really need is to be left alone and trusted to find that balance for ourselves. There's no right and wrong. There may be a time we might want to go out and there may be time we might want to stay at home. And both of them should be respected in the sense that this is womanly wisdom. She knows. So I, I, there's a lot of pressure about normal birth. But like I said, if, if there is a problem, seeking help is also normal. I just want to rephrase the paradigm of you achieving any kind of birth is that you're the mother of this child and your entire life you will make decisions for the well-being of your child and let nobody tell you what that decision will be. And that includes birth. Because you got, you know, there is, you know, we, we talk about this is good for the baby, this is good for the baby, this is good for the baby. But neurobiology tells us that a happy mother is good for the baby. What is good for the baby should also be good for the mother. Now, whether that needs a little bit of education, whether that needs a little bit of support, whether that needs a little bit of uh, interaction, whatever it is, I don't care, should be offered to that woman. Whether she takes it or not, again, is her choice. Maybe she's not ready to take that education at this point of time. Maybe she, her life's journey to this point when she's having this baby has brought her to a place where She's not ready for it, or she's not available for it, or she's not resilient for it. Can we just support her there, please? Mm -hmm. And I think that is what would take the pressure off. But just the pressure itself, well, pressure has the uncanny uh, ability to bring up fear. And we did that in detail in one of our talks. Uh, fear is natural. <laughs> so even fear is normal. And our brain has a negative bias. And this, all this pressure about achieving a birth is doing is putting all the biological systems that will oppose birth in play. And I want to leave it on that. Uh, so Muruga Shankari is saying that how often and when is forceps really required during vaginal birth? Uh, can you please elaborate on that? And is it, is it safe? Oh my God, is it safe? See, such an absolute answer. There are no absolute answers in life. But uh, firstly, most doctors now don't know how to use forceps because that's an art that is lost. So instead, they use a mechanical intervention called ventus or vacuum, right? Now, the only time it may be used is when you find that during this period, we are, we are finding that the baby's not doing well, but we can see the top of the baby's head. Now, having said, it's a, it's a very clear statement, but the baby's not doing well is, is the judgment call of the doctor. And it's usually ordained by heart rate. So how I have seen it happening is that uh, we, we are in the uh, uh, birthing stage and the baby's descending and we see the top of the baby's head. The baby's heart rate is good. Nobody touches no matter what time it takes. And then suddenly we hear a drop of uh, the heart rate. And so the doctor says, give her some oxygen. Ask her to breathe a little bit deeply. But unfortunately, because they're asking her to hold her breath as well. So we are going to see those signs in the baby as well. So then some oxygen, changing some positions, helping the mother along. It stabilizes. No need to jump in and do anything. If you're hearing a consistently low heart rate, the doctor may choose to intervene 
to bring the baby out or assist the babies uh, coming out with a mechanical intervention. And that would then need an episiotomy to put that extra instrument inside. So those interventions will then become, uh, you know, uh, we'll say, okay, now we do need to do something because we don't want to let the baby here. But it's still a judgment call. It's not black and white. Okay. Uh, Maya Zama is asking, uh, ma'am, in Coimbatore zone, maximum number of women say that they were induced due to low AFI. Uh, please give your comments on this. Okay, so I think we talk about the AFI each time, but let's talk about it because it's a really important thing. Few years ago, let me just say this, few years ago when I started working, well, not too few years ago, almost 20 years ago when I started working, cord around the neck, was a very common problem for C-sections for, for almost five years. Till some of us said that that's not a reason for C-section. And then we had a wonderful doctor say it on air. And then suddenly no more C-sections got caught around the neck. Suddenly the problem was resolved. Now it's the AFI. Now, what does a low AFI mean to begin with? It means amniotic fluid index, which means the ratio of the fluid to the place occupied by the baby uh, and it gives you a number. And there's a range of the number. But interestingly, the number ranges from 5 to 22. So there's a long, there's a really wide range. And why is it so wide? Is because when they're doing a sonography, they're looking at pockets of unoccupied space on four quadrants, doing a formula and giving you a number. What if, so if I sit like this versus if I'm like this, can you see more, um, see this? How about this? Lesser space? So it's firstly the skill of the person who's seeing it. Secondly, towards the end of pregnancy, when, when they're doing all these things, the baby is quite big. So we are not expecting a very high number. Now, so if a person, the lower limit is five, whatever, they'll give you a range. The lower range is five and yours is seven. It's on the lower side. Yes, of course it's on the lower side because there's no space for other things inside. The baby is growing. So that's not important. Here's how I like to do it as a doula, because I'm not giving medical advice. I'd say, okay, it is possible that you're dehydrated and that will affect your amniotic fluid index. So let's do another ultrasound in three days and let's hydrate, including a good electro natural electrolyte. For, for, for us, for me, it's always been Nariel Pani. So you've had a lot of Nariel Pani. Now, after three days, you do another ultrasound and you find three outcomes can be that seven has become nine. So you forget about it. The seven is still seven. So it's still on the lower side, but nothing has changed. So which means this is a sustainable. Keep hydrating and keep going. The third possibility is despite of your best efforts, that number has gone down. Now very few people will have that number go down. That number after that evaluation process says, okay, something is going down or happening and that number is going down. That's when the doctor might advise you on your options. So it's not just that number on the lower side. Okay, let's get the baby out. Let's get the baby out right now. It's not like that. So this education about what is AFI in the third trimester, low AFI, what it could mean. Uh, if it was in, in the second trimester, it could actually mean organ. But in the third trimester, it just means baby is growing. And unless we don't see how it's performing or how it, the process of it is, that is it really decreasing or is it just a low number because the baby is occupying that much space? You cannot make a decision. So I think the first step would be an education and understanding of it. And you'll find that those numbers 
will crunch down quite a bit. Uh, and yes, do people do have medical issues? Not all of them have to be jumped and addressed with the worst intervention. Some of them only need our consideration, you know, um, which means that if uh, um, uh, I'm not processing or metabolizing sugar the way I should, I could make a lifestyle change and still live healthily without taking a single pill in my life. Now, um, personal story, I was uh, diagnosed with high cholesterol six years ago. And they said, oh, you know, there's no big deal. There's one goalie, have it and forget about it for the rest of your life. I, I don't think that's being alive. So then I inquired more and then I realized that there were certain foods that I eat that caused inflammation. And a very learned man told me that when inflammation happens in your blood vessels, it's like a lesion. And the extra cholesterol is like a balm on it. That's actually a protective measure for your body. So instead of taking the goalie, which now we know causes strokes, the, the cholesterol medication, I just changed my diet. My cholesterol is still on the higher side, but I'm healthy. I'm here. I'm talking to you. So not all, don't think of this as a problem. A low AFI is telling you something. It could just be telling you you're dehydrated, drink some water and electrolytes. It's talking to your body, talks to you, listen to it. And then find, educate, and take the next step wherever you're ready to take it. So low AFI, uh, Divya, uh, we check through using ultrasound, right? Uh, when we go for an ultrasound scan. Yeah. And uh, uh, and if we don't go for an ultrasound <laughs> scan. No. So good doctors also do palpation. They touch the belly. So, you know, I've seen Correct. touch the belly. I've seen a midwife touch the belly and say, oh, maybe we should. I was coming to it. that question only. So yeah. can uh, a, a doctor palpatory. come uh, and actually, yeah, okay. actually, it should be palpatory. It should be the feel right. of how this fluid and baby feel together in dynamics that may need further investigation. Half of the things you will cut down right there and there. Because remember I said, if I sit like this, look at the area that is does not have a body part versus this. My AFI has just decreased versus this. It's now increased. So it's also dynamics of how, what we are reading and how we are interpreting it. Somehow we feel that doctors, uh, all the doctors are gods and they know everything, which is not true. And obstetric is absolutely not true. And then second thing, we think that ultrasound is telling us all the accurate reason because we've seen a picture of it. We're seeing a uh, created imagery of a three-dimensional figure, meeting the top, not the back of it. So a, a, a good guess at best. So I'm not dishing anything okay. out. Whatever levels you need to do to feel safe is fine with me. And, and if this information, instead of making you feel safe, is making you feel unsafe, we need to talk about that. You remember we were talking about the pandemic of managing and monitoring at one time and then we thought that with this pandemic we don't want to confuse it. But I think it's a valid conversation to have that how this externalizing help Constant to these monitoring. parameters numbers is actually taking away our well-being and we need to reclaim it. And it's very right. simple. If you look at a report, what is highlighted? Your health or your disease? And then fear is natural. And there you go into a spiral. Right. So I'm very quickly uh, going to take our last two questions. 
Uh, one is uh, what is a normal fetal heart rate during labor? As some of my friends uh, had to undergo cesarean because doctor said heart rate is decreasing. Yeah. So what should it be? It's again a range. The range is between 120 and 160. And it very, it's variable. So doctors are actually looking for variation. Unlike us who want to look at a good steady heart rate, a variating heart rate means the baby is very sensitive to his environment or her environment, which actually is good health for the baby. And so sometimes when it's a steady heart rate, they would say, eat something, go take a walk, maybe the baby is sleeping, do it again. Now, if you hear one low heart rate, depending on how you're being monitored, again, uh, that's a whole discussion itself, but very quickly today. If you're lying now on your back and being continuously monitored, you will find those dips because you're, you're lying on a major artery. And if it's a bad position, it's going to reflect in the baby's heart rate. And that's, that's the problem with continuous monitoring. And that's what the studies say, that continuous monitoring may lead to more C-sections because it's not the truth. Now, if it is intermittent monitoring and you did hear a low heart rate, change the position first because the first thing could be, how can I get more oxygen to the baby? Put oxygen on you, breathe deeply, relax your body because your body tension also decreases the kind of oxygen that is being passed down to the baby. So let's do that first. It just that changes the heart rate again. We're good. It was positional. Many, many times it's just that. But then the second step is to see it over a period of time. Was it this one strong contraction in this position or was it, is it something that is coming up again and again no matter how much we are supporting the baby? And if that range is either below 120 or above 160 consistently, then we say that the baby is distressed. But one odd heart, heart reading is not a distress. One spike is not a distress. One trap is not a distress. It's the baby saying, oh, I'm not okay. Or whatever you ate was delicious. I love it. Yay. And that's the spike. <laughs> or move. I'm not getting enough uh, you know, oxygen. That's, but women who have, are lying down and are looking at beeping numbers cannot feel in touch with their body. The minute we look at numbers, machines, things outside, we lose the interception. So we have two kinds of intelligences. One is extraception, where we take information of safety from outside. And then there's interception, which is inside. That is why many people, when you ask them, say, how do you feel? Close their eyes. Because they want to feel inside. You know, in, uh, in, in, uh, in some of our texts, we call these uh, <clears throat> Kriya Indriya. Kriya means action. When we look outward, they have an action. But when we look inward, they are Gyan Indriya. So when we visualize our internal states, we are looking into the wisdom of our body, which is Gyan Indri. When we look outside, we are doing action. We are taking the outside. Uh, in neurobiology, we call it introception and extraception. Both of them are looking for safety. We lose in introception when we have bright lights, lots of distraction, numbers peeping. We lose, lose that introception about ourselves. Right. Um, thank you. So I'm going to take just one last question. And uh, it's actually not related to the topic, uh, but uh, uh, wish.list has asked this question twice. So I'm just going to take it up. Uh, could you please give us some insight on Braxton Hick contraction? I know we spoke about it uh, during our last uh, Talking Tuesdays, but if you could just very quickly uh, Braxton you know, Hicks touch on it. Yes. They're named after a man. That's my biggest <laughs> ire with A lot of things that happen in women's body are named after men. Because men want to measure and articulate and own and, you know, and women are free-flowing saying, oh, yeah, I'm feeling something. So Braxton Hicks is, is your perception 
of your uterus preparing for birth. That's one way to look at it, which means that it contracts periodically and randomly. Uh, if you want to find meaning in it, that's the best meaning I can offer you. That your oh, my body is now preparing and coming in my awareness. It was always preparing, but it wasn't in your awareness because let's not bother you with the details that are not pertinent right now. But now it's coming in my awareness, which might draw your attention to the baby. It might make you think about your body opening up. So Braxton Hicks is uh, your preparation for labor and they are random in nature and they come and go and they change in the feel of it as you change positions or you drink water or do things. So they, you can negotiate how they feel versus when they are ready to bring the baby out, they gain a certain momentum, a certain um, intensity that says, now we are all geared up and fired up to take this through. So that's the difference between Braxton Hicks and labor. Does that answer your question? If you ask me another time, I'll answer it differently, I promise. <laughs> Uh, but you can also view our uh, IGTV uh, last Talking Tuesdays and uh, Divya has kind of talked about Bracton Hits uh, in detail there. Uh, just one last question from Nikita Agarwal and she's saying, what does the normal birth mean to you as a doula? And that will be our closing question. In the spirit of transparency and honesty, it has meant many things um, over a period of time. Uh, I was very attached to natural birth. I had a client tell me, and this was not as a doula, I was a childbirth educator. I had a client who met me and she said, oh, I had a wonderful birth, but you'll be very disappointed in me because I took an epidural. And that stopped me in my tracks. And I was so fortunate it happened really early in my journey in this work, about a year or so. And, and I felt, I mean, much as I, I accepted, and, and I'm very grateful that she saw that I had value for her. I felt that I had stolen something so important from her that, that in some way I, I managed to make her feel judged. And ever since that day, normal birth means what is normal for you. What do you need right now? That doesn't mean that I will not prepare you. That doesn't mean we will not have the hard conversations about interventions. That doesn't mean we will not discuss hospitals and care providers. We will discuss all this. But underlying this and enveloping you mm -hmm. is my love and care for you. I only wish as a doula to serve the women who put their trust and bring me into this really sacred time of bringing their babies. And, and from the bottom of my heart, that's how I have worked. That is what I talk and that is what I teach. And anybody who knows me knows that. <laughs> so, uh, and Nikita knows me so. So she will be able to be, you're, you're allowed to judge my answer. <laughs> Okay, so um, uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for this Talking Tuesday. I just wanted to take the last uh, uh, minute uh, before we close this to uh, tell you all that we are organizing a coffee con, uh, coffee conversations in the month of uh, August. So the entire month of August, we're bringing in a lot of speakers, uh, both uh, national and international, uh, to have some uh, discussions with us around uh, uh, birthing. We are starting with uh, Ifit Yasmin on the 1st of August, and uh, which is actually, uh, uh, you know, starting of the breastfeeding uh, week. Uh, so Ifit will be, uh, Yasmin will be talking about uh, mothering through breastfeeding. And uh, if any one of you is interested, please, uh, um, you know, follow us on our Facebook page. Uh, 
uh, and uh, the details are there on our uh, Insta handle as well. And uh, you can also register for the same if you would want to access the conversations uh, for later viewing. Uh, you can register on our e-learning platform and the details are there in our uh, Insta handle bio as well. So thank you so much uh, for uh, attending our uh, Talking Tuesdays and I want to say something because because Tanvi said we have speakers, but I have to tell you, I have a personal relationship with almost each of these people. They are friends, they are teachers, they're students, they are um, their sisters, they're women. And I think that's one of the way we take pressure off women when we say we're a community of women that offer uh, our wisdom and share our stories with each other and whatever else we bring. So for me, and the coffee is not for pregnant women. <laughs> so a little bit of a moment saying women they are not allowed coffee. I said, well, we're having coffee and conversation and they are just enjoying it. So bring in your health drinks, uh, if not coffee. <laughs> And um, yes, uh, so uh, the topics are very diverse, uh, right from, uh, you know, preconception to pregnancy to parenting. Uh, we will be talking about sleep, 